Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What have you done? I'd say it to you, face. I'll say it to you now. What you doing down here, you man? Okay, then. It looks like we now officially have ourselves a title race, and with it, the return of the most overhyped two-word phrase in Premier League football: mind games. Ken and Murph, <laughs> mind games are back. Thanks for taking time to listen to Easter Monday Second Captain's Football Podcast. No sooner had Maurizio Pochettino guided Spurs to a crushing 4-0 win against Bournemouth than he was sticking the boot into Chelsea without even naming them. Mm. This is the key to really clever mind games, you see. You talk about your opponents without giving them the respect of admitting that you're talking about them. So what did he say? If you analyse where we came from, it's a fantastic time for Tottenham. Tottenham is not building in an artificial way. It is not about putting in money, money, money and building a fantastic team. Tottenham is genuine, a very natural process. And it is so exciting because it is unique in the world. Uh, apart who, from the, yeah, who, yeah. who won the league last year? <laughs> yeah, yeah, who yeah. did you cave terribly to while losing the league to last year? You could also make the point, as the Guardian did today, that Tottenham have spent £170 million on buying footballers in the last three seasons. But listen, that's not the point. The mind games have started. That's all that matters, Ken. Mm, um yeah, I mean, what what does he mean organic? I mean, like he is m- m- making up these Tottenham players out of little compost grow bags mm-hmm. on his allotment. This is ridiculous. He was playing classical music while Danny Rose was being groomed in a greenhouse. <laughs> um, so I, I thought it was interesting that Conte, speaking about the... I mean, you say he's talking about Chelsea there, but he could be talking about... Pochettino, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, it could be talking about Man City. Could be talking about Man City, could be talking about Manchester United, could be talking about Liverpool. Could They're be ta- not in a title race with any of those, though. They're not breathing down the neck of those teams. Yeah, I just don't know why... I, I just don't see this as being particularly infuriating thing to put out there about Chelsea. Oh, you spend a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we the rest we of the do. world, you know, yeah. I mean, I think Chelsea probably see that as a, as a positive. A badge of honour? Yeah. They'd rather spend more money? Well, that's the reason why, you know, guys like Eden Hazard want to play for us. You know, they know they're going to make plenty of money here. It's 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 one of their 
It's one of their core brand values. So you're saying you're not as excited as me about having these clunky psychological ploys to look forward to in the next five weeks or so. Well, did you see Conte's psychological ploy? Go on. His was to say, yeah, Tottenham are better than us. Uh, they're the best team in the country right now, and it's our job to uh, to ensure that the league title goes to the wrong team. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, he said, uh, uh, where are we? Yeah. They are the best. Uh, they deserve to win. Tot- uh, it won't be easy. I think Tottenham are now the best team. They're in good form. They have a lot of enthusiasm. They're feeling the possibility to write history. It's important for us to know this. So he evidently thinks that the way to get his team to play better, which they will need to do because they played terribly uh, yesterday, is to make them feel, is to, is to stand there praising their opponents. Well, this is what everyone was saying about Tottenham around this time last year as well. They're obviously the best team. I think you might have been one of those people, actually. Yeah. yeah. Well, they, were the, they were the best team. I mean, they were just way better than Leicester. Until they drew two and lost two of their last four games. Mm. They blew up. You know, I mean... Start, they... Started poorly, blew up towards the end. I don't know that's, if that's the best team. Yeah, I'm not sure that's like championship form. No, I, I mean, it wasn't. But, you know, are you do you subscribe to the fallacy that the table never lies? The table does lie. Table doesn't lie over thirty-eight games. It does lie. Oh, thirty-eight games is not really that many games. Uh, I mean, we how had, many games? Uh, how many games do you think is the real season? <laughs> well, Jonathan are we talking Wilson, like Major League Baseball, like one hundred and sixty-two yeah, yeah. games? Well, Jonathan Wilson was on on Te- this teams play every go, day. Teams just go on the road before. against each other and play series of three and four games at a time. He mentioned that that a friend of his had looked at this, you know, mathematically, <laughs> had looked at it mathematically, and it, and I can't remember if it was thirty-five years or thirty-five thousand games that you needed to play, but it was a lot more than 38 games mm. in, order, in order to get a table that definitely reflected the true, the true standing now, of the different teams. that table does not lie. Well, look, the, the ma- matches are... But we've decided that 38 is the... That is the number of games in a season. Therefore, it doesn't lie if the whole idea of playing the league no, is what that we've after decided, 38 games... Yeah. Well, that, who is the best team? We, no, we've, we've played each, we, we've we're going to play each other once. We've once decided that the winner away. of the, that the winner of the league is the team that's top after thirty eight games. That doesn't mean that that is actually the best team. Now, see, this would be really good man games. You know, if Antonio Conte after he wins, like, well, I mean, listen, how, what have we won really? I mean, it takes thirty five thousand of these games to really decide yeah. which one of us is the better team. Well, it's about it's about winning the trophy. It's not it's not necessarily it's, winning a trophy doesn't mean you're the best. You know, I mean. You've, how many times have you seen in a cup game a, a better team being knocked out by a weaker team? One I mean, cup game happens yeah. all the time, of course. Yeah. yeah. So thirty-eight is not actually that difference from one. There's only thirty-seven. In it's the a difference. fair difference. It's a lot less than thirty, whatever thousand you were talking about. Yeah. I grant you that, yeah. but it is a lot more than one. Hit it. I've got a call here. That says you're the most boring, predictable, condescending interviewer around. Go back to lecturing. You have the charisma of a sick bag. Oh God. That's just. I just wow. mentioned not you, not me. Okay. Ain't nobody fucking with my click. We don't normally broadcast all the the stuff that comes from scum around the country. Today's scumbag is my favourite type of scumbag. It's a world service scumbag. Ian Goulding is the man's name. He's emailed editor at secondcaptains.com. Hi, chaps. Just a quick note to say thanks for the world service members pack which arrived to my home in Edinburgh yesterday. I was out when it came, but asked my wife to open it and see what was inside as a fellow second captain based... A Scotland-based second captaineer had messaged me earlier in the day to say that he had the good fortune to bag a snazzy badge and a portrait of Jurgen Klopp. Naturally, my wife was relatively shocked to find the envelope contained not just a badge, but also a rendering of a naked and quite muscular man. 
Being loosely familiar with second captains and your respective physical appearances, she mistakenly thought that it was a drawing of Ken by <laughs> someone named David rather than vice versa. I think and hope that it was the hair on the head that caused this confusion. To be fair, I can see where she's coming from. Keep up the good work. Thanks for the art. Unfortunately, I don't think I can frame that and put it on my wall. All the best for me. And oh, well, you can frame it, Ian. It's art. What are you talking Just about? Just put the, put the badge in the strategically correct place as a lot of people have been doing. Yeah, I mean, I don't see any problem. Uh, what, what, what's so shocking about the human form? You know? Why, why, why does he feel like this? I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> if you've joined up to the World Service and have yet to receive your beautiful welcome pack, don't worry, we will get the last batch out this week. If you haven't joined up yet, well, I'm afraid you're never going to have the chance to behold Ken's naked David Louise portrait or his equally impressive long-necked rendering of Devon Toner. You can get onto secondcaptains.com for details on how to become a me- member and bag all of that swag. I received a tweet from M. Yas yesterday, one of our regular listeners. He said, Mourinho out Conte's Conte. I'm sure Ken will find something to complain about, though. Well, let's get this report and sports started and see if you're right, M. Yas. Well, Conte and Mourinho are, are, are similar managers in a way. I mean, I can't, Conte's kind of like the updated version of Mourinho. You know, but I think they've got... Uh, you know, I think they're basically the same type of coach, you know? Uh, so to say out Conte's Conte, I mean, did they they prevented Chelsea from playing? Yeah, they did. They um, they made Chelsea look really, really bad. I think Chelsea helped to make Chelsea look really bad as well. I mean, I've never seen such a pathetic performance. I mean, it was the first time in 10 years they hadn't had a shot on target in a Premier League game. <laughs> That's amazing. Costa was dispossessed 10 times which is more than any player has been dispossessed in any game this season. I mean, all you could see his attitude stank from the outset. You know, whether it's something particular about Marcus Rojo, um, but he seems to really be able to get get into Costa's head and really annoy him. Such that you, you just had Costa fighting with him and forgetting, forgetting about the game. He just wasting his energy on this pointless feud that he was having with uh, Marcus Rocco. Ah, yeah, but you take that out of Diego Costa's game, and you have a really good striker who's <laughs> focused on scoring goals. Yeah, I mean, this has been, you know, so so I think you have to do have to give Mourinho credit for that. I mean, it's, that's not okay. I suppose it is something that could just happen, but Mourinho. I mean, Rory Smith wrote, wrote a piece about this. I keep bringing up Rory Smith's pieces, though, you know. He's a good journalist. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that, Ken. But making the point that, look, this is his old team. He knows these players very well. You know, he, he's aware of weaknesses that other people, you know, aren't. He knows he knows the... He knew the players, you could say. <laughs> I know the players. And, uh, he, you know, Diego Costa uh, certainly didn't seem to... Couldn't seem to get his head in the game. And I think, uh, you know, what Mourinho well, was telling them to say probably had a lot to do with that. Yeah, well, I understand that he knows loads of, play- uh, loads of the Chelsea players better than anyone else could. But I think we, we're all aware of the, why don't you just whisper sweet nothings into Diego Costa's ear for half an hour and but see what happens. But which sweet nothings? Hmm. Which sweet nothings? Wow, that's, yeah, that's taking yeah. it to another level, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, it is. Because... <laughs> you know, not not everybody knows as much about Diego Costa, <laughs> uh, and then you've got uh, Eden Hazard, um, who, again, I mean, it was basically the same plan as they had the last time when they when they lost one nil at Stamford Bridge in the cup, which is uh, Ana Herrera is going to be on Hazard all the time, all the time, and let's see if let's see how badly Hazard wants to be in this game, 
with Ander Herrera barging into him from behind every time he gets on the ball. Now, the problem with the approach in the first match is that Herrera got sent off in the first half <laughs> for because the referee spotted this pattern and decided to punish Herrera for being part of a chain of persistent fouling on Hazard. On this occasion, that didn't happen. What did Mourinho have to say about the referee? We have, we have a clip of him talking about Bobby Madley, the young referee. I think this young referee makes me very happy because the guy is growing up a lot and is getting difficult matches and he was very good and for a young referee to come up I think is a joy I think is a joy because we all know that the top referees in the Premier League are normally uh, men with great experience and um, Medley had for me a very very good performance <laughs> so that's that's what we have to say about the referee, right? What did he have to say about his own, his his brilliant young striker, Marcus Rashford? Was he as lavish in his praise for Marcus Rashford as he was for young referee Bobby Madley? For his education, for his statical education, for his statical culture, uh, this season is a phenomenal season for him with... Uh, an amazing range of experience of different experiences. Is he not scoring enough goals? No, he's missing a little bit. And even today, the first opportunity he had, he had an opportunity and he didn't score. And it looks like he was not very confident. But um, the kid played played very well. And uh, again, great experience for him to play against such a good team like Chelsea. So what do you think of... Uh, he was a bit nitpicky. <laughs> was that the chance from like 25 yards that Lingard set up for him? Yeah, I mean, if he scores, it's, you know, phenomenal goal, goal of the month. Yeah, <laughs> he sort of dragged it wide, if I yeah, recall. I thought yeah, it was yeah. uh, as clear-cut as the one he scored. I mean, if... You, yeah, I mean, the Rashford thing actually is less weird to me than the referee thing. I mean, why would you so blatantly do something like that? <laughs> he, he loves that referee, Bobby Wadley. Do you know how many red cards Bobby Wadley has shown in his 27 matches? Not many. One red card. Uh, the average for the Premier League would be one in nine. So he's sort of one third of the average in terms of red cards. The average for all the other more sensible major leagues is between one red card every three matches, one red card every five matches. Yeah, but you can't tell if the referee is good over the course of just 27 games. Can. Yeah. They need, they need the referee 35,000 That is games. true. There is a sample size issue here. However, what we have here is a, is a referee who does like to, you know, say... Say to the guys, I don't really know what happened between you there. All I'd say is play up, play up, and play the game. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's not hes not one of these referees who wants to be the star. If anything, you could describe him as a bit of a wallflower. You know, he's kind of a, a sort of a, an enthusiastic bystander. Um, the man with the, 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 uh, the customer with the best seed in the house. <laughs> yeah. Bobby Radley. And, and not, not the kind who's going to necessarily jump in and make a decision of some kind which is going to affect the flow of the game you know and and obviously he did that in the build up to the to the first uh, goal of the match in which which was a, I thought a really obvious handball which caught the whole Chelsea team moving forward um you know the, the as a result of this handball Herrera was in behind Matic uh you know with Kante too far away to react and to be fair to Herrera, then played an amazing ball. Amazing ball, yeah. It was such a key moment, because when you watched it from certain angles later on, the certain TV angles, Herrera made the decision. If that ball had been slipped past him, Hazard was through, and there was a, a two-on-two, maybe even a, a more advantageous position. It was a fair chance that Chelsea would score. Mm. It's funny how such something so 
seemingly minor can actually change the game entirely. Oh, completely, yeah. I mean, these the, these matches, you know, it seems like maybe... There's a lot of running around and then just one big thing happens. But actually, the number of times that, that one team gets in behind the other's midfield, uh, you know, with a couple of players in possession, in a good position, it's, there are a handful of those moments in a game. You know, it's it doesn't it's not happening most of the time. Um, so a moment like that, uh, Chelsea got caught out by, well, a decision they thought was going to go their way. Even if they'd reacted immediately as opposed to all going, handball, and like putting their hands up and stopping, <laughs> then they might have had a chance of, of stopping it. But, you know, these things happen in a game. Uh, sometimes it goes your way, sometimes it goes as, the other team's as way. As the old saying goes, over the course of a 35,000 game season, <laughs> these things tend to even themselves out. <laughs> uh, they do. I mean... The, you know, there's statistics as well um, going about, you know, Jose Mourinho, they say he doesn't, they say he doesn't uh, give young players a chance. Well, which manager has given out of Conte, Wenger, Pochettino, Guardiola and Mourinho has given more minutes to teenagers in the Premier League than anyone else with 1,443 minutes? Mourinho. Oh, it's you're correct. Oh, it's Jose Mourinho. Well, you teed that one up nicely. Uh, Guardiola 4.15 Pochettino 19 Wenger 1 minute Conte 0 minutes I struggled without you last week Murph, Murph. thankfully Simon bailed me out yeah PFA player of the year nominees you're on holidays yeah so I was thought I was going to be made to look like a, an idiot on my yeah. own this time but Simon stepped in and pretty much got all the answers oh <laughs> nice he's still I, I mean I, I mean, I find this kind of interesting this this idea this statistic is going around it shows that Jose Mourinho is, a, is um, bringing through the young mm. You know, he's he's nurturing uh, his young players in the same way that he nurtures young Bobby Madley, uh, the young referee who brings a lot of joy to all of us. Uh, he, I mean, Marcus Rashford had broken through into the team last season, had scored a bunch of goals, and had played for England at Euro 2016. You know what I mean? It's not like he was a, he, he's a kind of a charity case. You know, where sort of like Mourinho has to put him in to fulfill some self-imposed quota of giving chances to the young. Like, Marcus Rashford is, had already established himself as quite a serious player. It would be kind of weird if he hadn't played this many minutes, I, I would say. I don't think it necessarily proves anything about Mourinho's more general attitude in terms of, um, you know, uh, bringing through young players. But he, he also spoke about the, uh, you know, because it was a good day, obviously, for me. You saw the badge kissing and the, you know, kind of pouting at the Chelsea fans and so on. Uh, and obviously came in and, and did a fairly expansive press conference in which he talked about all the things that had gone right. And we'll play a bit of audio here where he talks about what really was the plan. What was the what was the plan? What, what did Chelsea do? What did we need to do to beat Chelsea? This is what he said. I want to say that I was convinced even before the, the, the Cup that controlling the two players that play behind uh, Diego, um, sometimes Hazard Williams, sometimes Hazard Pedro, controlling the position of these two players and controlling the fullbacks because they go really deep, controlling the fullbacks with two white men, wide men, would create them lots of problems. And I repeat the same. They are phenomenal in counter-attack. When they have the ball, it's more difficult for them. And when they had the ball, we compact. And when they tried to play counter-attack, we were always in control of these link positions. Diego is very dangerous, but the, the two link positions 
are the two positions that we have to, to control. We did that at Stanford Bridge when we played with 11. With 10, it was more difficult. Now, what you notice about that is, is, is how focused it is on Chelsea. You know, it's like, uh, it doesn't really talk, it, it's not what, do, what were we doing, it's what do they do and, how, and what do we need to do to stop that? And I kind of feel that's the way always that he kind of, that he understands the game. It's like the, op- the opponent is a problem. Let's solve this problem, as opposed to. And he's been very successful in approaching football that way, no? Yeah, yeah, he's won a lot, won a lot of trophies. Certainly, uh, the the in terms of what his own team does, it's it's more of an attitude. Like he he was saying, look, we you know I was delighted because we were sharp, we were fast, we were aggressive, you know, and and he, he's talking about the transitions. I they lose the ball, uh, they lose the ball, and what we want to do is a couple of seconds later score that's that's the whole game plan and the whole it's, it's like a it's a mindset that he tries to inculcate it's a it's a, a tough sharp sharp aggressive hard mindset this is what it's all about it's not about where the ball is on the field and where you should all be in relation to the ball it's entirely about your attitude to the game how are you you know are you in the warrior mindset you know, which one of you look around the room? I mean, he was talking about, I've, I've got such an amazing group of human beings here. This is the most, one of the most amazing groups of human beings I've ever come across. Actually, you know, he was talking to France Football a couple of weeks ago, and he was like, well, at Inter, I had an amazing group. They were really ready to go with me. You know, I was uh, doing this, I was doing that. We, I had Manarazzi's, Latin, you know, these tough guys who really were prepared to, to follow me in that way. And here, you know, the players are a bit more gentle, a bit more timid, you know. But, you know, maybe a few of them are beginning to show that they do have these qualities that he's looking for. I mean, Herrera is obviously the the kind of standard bearer, I think, for for um, all of that. Yeah, I would have thought it's quite an encouraging performance for from Manchester United's point of view. I know it was very specific to the opponents they were playing, but he's going to bomb a couple of players out. He's going to bring a couple of players in at least. He's already boasted about how much money he's going to spend again in the transfer market mm-hmm. this summer. So I don't think they're that far away They're, they should be doing better than they are doing but I would have thought that that's that is a bit of a template maybe for next season Ta- I mean tactically they're like three at the back and well certainly a- attitude wise yeah. attitude wise well that's really what it's all about um, I guess uh, and if there's a couple of there's always a couple of players in the first season for a manager particularly one as demanding as Mourinho who don't have the right attitude and we might even have an oh, idea yeah, who some of those players are. <laughs> no name immediately. <laughs> so w- w- once he changes that up, and he's got all these, uh, got all these guys. Unfortunately, Zlatan can't be five years younger, but yeah. he's still scoring ridiculous amounts of goals. Yeah, well, we'll talk to Jonathan. I think about about that uh, game in a bit more detail. But what else is happening? Rama Lukaku. Did you see his goal um, up against Keane? The Burnley centre half who everybody wants to buy, the future of English defending. Yeah. Absolutely destroyed by Lukaku with just a little shrug of the shoulder. He he kind of flicked Michael Keane away with, with his lat. Is that what you call it? He twitched his lat and Michael Keane fell away. <laughs> Lukaku uh toe poked it in. Yeah. Um and a, a pretty good win for Everton, who are one of the teams Chelsea have to play. And have you know are really really good at home at the moment. And the thing that happened at Everton over the last uh, couple of days was this: um, they've decided to join Liverpool in banning the Sun from uh, from the club. Sun can no longer go to Everton's training, um, the press box during matches, 
uh, press conferences and all this kind of thing, they are banned for you know the foreseeable future, I guess. This is because, um, well, as Everton said yesterday, Everton Football Club informed the Sun, this statement is from Saturday, informed the Sun newspaper it was banned from Goodison Park, the USM Finch Farm training ground and all areas of the club's operation. Whilst we will not dignify any journalist with a response to appalling and indefensible allegations, the newspaper has to know any attack on this city, either against a much-respected community or individual, is not acceptable. So that's... Um, this is the Kelvin, in relation to Kelvin McKenzie's piece on Ross Barkley. Kelvin McKenzie's piece on Rock, Ross Barkley. He writes a little piece. Kelvin McKenzie, for some reason, still has a column in the sun. Supposedly, 300 grand a year is, is the wage, which is amazing, considering that he hasn't been useful in any way for, for decades. What does he... Why does Uncle Roop keep giving him so much money he's not necessarily he's not generally known for the generosity of the pension arrangements you know he's not one for you know uh, paying uh, old employees who long past their sell by day enormous amounts of money what is it about Kelvin McKenzie that keeps him in this job well he is suspended from the job at the moment um, because he wrote about Ross Barkley there is something about the lack of reflection in his eyes which makes me certain not only are the lights not on? There is definitely nobody at home. I get a similar feeling when seeing a gorilla at the zoo. The physique is magnificent, but it's the eyes that tell the story. So, and this was illustrated with a picture of Barkley uh, next to a gorilla. Well, not next, I mean, two pictures, one of Ross Barkley and one of a gorilla. Um, and, well, the... Apparently this this was this all passed muster at the sun, that was fine. Um Ross Barkley, however, is mixed race. A fact which Kevin McKenzie claimed later not to have been aware of, or the Sun also said, Well the paper didn't know. The Sun actually had previously uh printed stories mentioning this fact about Ross Barkley that you know he's qualified to play for Nigeria uh, if he wanted to, but maybe someone else was on the desk that day. Um you know, as to as to Kevin McKenzie, did he did he know this? Or did he not know? Well, it's difficult to give him the benefit of the doubt, really. It is. It's just difficult for Kevin McKenzie to believe that, to, you know, to give the innocent explanation of anything. That's just the nature of of his uh, career. Would you feel sympathy, though, for the Sun sports journalist? Because it's the kind of thing that can happen where s- people from outside of sport and the newspaper... Phil Thomas is the guy they have on, on Merseyside. I'm sure he does his stuff well. I'm sure he, he, you know, he's, he, he would be sensitive to the... To the sort of you know, how the city works. It's not even how the city works. He just wouldn't be associated associating himself with something that Kelvin McKenzie writes, and yet he, this guy can't go and do his job. Is there any problem with that? Well, it's 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 definitely a difficult situation for for Phil Thomas. Um, as to what he's going to do, I mean, I, I don't know. I think he's been kind of tr- covering stuff outside of Liverpool a bit more since. I mean, because Liverpool already banned the Sun. This was um, was it last year they announced it. Um, they they have they did ban the sun in a you know in a total way quite recently. Obviously, there's been this kind of boycott towards the sun from Liverpool FC ever since Hillsborough. Um, but the, the sun was always allowed to to work at the club, you know, to send journalists to the matches to cover, you know, and so on and so forth. And, and it was only quite recently that they banned. As the you know, I mean, it is it's obviously a problematic situation. It's difficult. Like, what is the right answer here? You know. Uh, it, the journalists certainly, when when something happens to another journalist, tend to 
see it from the journalist's point of view. So you, you could see when this happened, there was a few, a few of the kind of football journalists, the high-profile ones, and, and he's saying, oh, you know, this is... Obviously, Kelvin McKenzie's comments were a disgrace, uh, but, you know, banning journalists is always wrong. You know, as though... But is it really, like... Is that not just something journalists say? Mm. <laughs> you know, is there, there's an element of, oh, you know, step one, ban the sun from uh, covering your football club. Step two, you know, is the descent into tyranny. You know, the, uh, we lose freedom and democracy and, and we're, we're living in a, you know. I mean, is that really the case? In the, in the case of the sun, I mean, the, did you ever read the book Hack Attack by, no. uh, by Nick Davis? It was the one, um, Nick Davis was the, the uh, journalist who was, uh, who was kind of leading the investigation into phone hacking for The Guardian, which ultimately resulted in the, you know, the Levison inquiry and, and, and the, the, the end of the news of the world. The news of the world was uh, folded because of, because of what was exposed uh, there about, about uh, phone hacking and so on. Now, that book has an interesting little section, I mean, where he's quite close to the beginning, where he's describing the news of the world and the kind of culture of this, uh, of this newspaper and what it, what, what it really was. You know, it's kind of, everyone knows what the news of the world is, everyone has read it, everyone you know, knows what, what it's about, but what actually goes on inside it? And he said, you know, it's another thing about newspapers, they live by exposure, yet they keep their own worlds concealed. So he talks a bit, a bit about it. It begins with the readers. The friends of tabloid newspapers often point out their journalism exists only because millions of people choose to pay money to read it. Um, the internal messages go one step further, disclosing the fervor with which readers stepped forward to provide a paper like the News of the World with the information it craved. So he then starts describing a bunch of like internal emails and messages and so on from the News of the World, which had people kind of coming forward, offering to sell bits of information about X and Y. You know... Uh, uh, a male prostitute had contacted them to report romping in a sauna with a male TV presenter. He wants to do kiss and tell, says his mate can corroborate the tale. A woman went out with a Hollywood actor when he was 14, wants to sell the story of how he cheated on her. A caller claims to have pics of a prominent Crystal Palace player in a gay clinch with pals on holiday. And then it says, I've got some information regarding an English footballer and his ex-wife. And so on and so forth. So people are trying to sell, you know, stuff that happened in their lives. You know, there's, a, there's been a little windfall. I know something about someone famous and I'm going to mm -hmm. sell them out. You know, a woman who claims years ago she had some kind of relationship with Pete Doherty. I have some interesting details to give for a good price, though I wish to remain anonymous. Um, you know, I wonder. I was just wondering how much pictures of Premiership footballers with ladyboys in Bangkok are worth. Got a classic if the price is right. I recently came into possession of a video of named male actor masturbating. Would your paper be interested in purchasing it? For, you know, this... So, he describes it as, uh, at worst, these are people volunteering to sell the secrets of those who most trust them, friends, lovers, family members. A man is currently having a relationship with a woman whose brother is a notorious criminal. They've been together for seven months, he said. They're still together. No matter, he's selling her. Would you be interested? I have a lot to say. Um, and so on and so forth. Everything is for sale. Nobody's exempt. What begins to emerge is the internal machinery of a commercial enterprise which has never previously existed, an industry which treats human life itself the soft tissue of the most private, sensitive moments, as a vast quarry full of raw material to be scooped up and sifted and exploited for entertainment. His, his point essentially is that this is like a huge market for betrayal and treachery and, you know, people to stab each other in the back and set each other out, which had not existed before. If... <laughs> How does that relate to... Well, what I'm saying is it's, it's hard to, to... 
it's hard to kind of step back. If, you, if, if you're talking about this, is obviously there's a newspaper which no longer exists, although the Sun on Sunday is, you know, I mean, if you if you would compare the Sun on Sunday with the news of the world, you can if see you that If you squinted and closed your left eye, maybe it might be difficult to tell the two newspapers there, apart. There are some similarities, you know, but it's, it's, it's hard. If that's kind of the main uh, commercial engine of the operation, it's difficult to, to say we really need this for the health of our democracy. In fact, it sounds almost as though maybe we don't need that. Maybe we could actually do without that. You know, maybe we could do without this commodification uh, of betrayal, which, you know, has, has happened here. I mean, this, you know, what does it have to do with everything? It's a difficult one to say. It, it, I just think it's, it's a blurry, it's a blurry sort of case. Journalists will say, oh, I am a journalist. You know, so I should really be saying, absolutely, this, this is an absolute... You know, we must stand up for this. Clubs who uh, ban football journalists are the first step on the road to... But it is kind of a special case, again. You know, like the Newcastle United banned the Newcastle Chronicle for because, like, they didn't like what they were saying about Ashley and Pards. You know, Alan Pardy. Now, that's the wrong reason, definitely, to ban a newspaper. We don't like what you've written about. But this, you know, Kelvin McKenzie, the editor who did The Truth, you know, which they're supposed, they're supposed to have apologised for, attacks again. Uh, the the city has another go on the eve of Hillsborough. Oh, exactly. The day before the the anniversary, the twenty eighth the twenty eighth anniversary. Again, he again, he was pop. unaware apparently because it wasn't just it wasn't just Barkley. He also said the reality is at sixty grand a week and being both thick and single, he is an attractive catch in the Liverpool area, where the only men with similar pay packets are drug dealers and are therefore not at nightclubs as they are often guests of Her Majesty, i.e. in jail. So you're just like well. You know, you're a dickhead. Like, what can we? What can you say? Like, it's it's hard to 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 stand over that and say this isn't this journalism is important. You know, if if the club then says, okay, I'm sorry, your paper can't come in here anymore. I'm really sorry to the to the local correspondent, the football guy, you know, who covers the team the same way as all the others. He's like a collateral damage in this. Mm. But like, this is just it's just sort of unacceptable to do that. So we're saying we're saying that's unacceptable, and you're banned. And, yeah, but again, it it is a very difficult case. in In principle, it's very it's difficult to defend. But I, I can, it's hard in practice to have much sympathy for the sun in this instance. That's it for today's edition of Ken's Report on Sport. Is it fair to say anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. It's about twelve. <laughs> Everyone in the city knew about it, but no one had seen him. Look how happy I was. What the fuck happened? No, really. What happened? What happened? It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. Jonathan Wilson, Ken here has been... I'm going to say grudging in his praise of Manchester United's tactical performance yesterday. Are we seeing the rebirth of Manchester United or just a Jose Mourinho team managing the highly specific task of beating his old team at the third time of asking? Um, I mean, I think to see rebirth in that one game would be would be premature. It's obvious. I think it was important psychologically for Mourinho not to lose a third successive game to, to his old side. Um, and... Yeah, you do wonder what would have happened in that game if United hadn't got the early goal. But yeah, of course they did. And of course you could say exactly the same about the the game of Stamford Bridge when when Chelsea got the very early goal. So yeah, they thoroughly deserved to win. 
um, yesterday. Uh, it's probably their best performance. Best performance in the Mourinho? Probably, yeah, I think probably given the, the nature of the opposition, that's probably true. So, so yeah, the, the signs are more positive than they have been, but I still think there's there's a way to go. And I think it's interesting that they did it without Zlatan. I, mean, I think they looked um, uh, a slicker, a better side going forward, a more... Um, more varied side going forward, less predictable side. And I think that's that's got to be a positive as well. Yeah, I mean, you could actually imagine Zlatan playing for a lot of, or you, rather Rashford playing for um, City, playing for Tottenham, playing for Liverpool. And it's hard to actually imagine Zlatan fitting in with those teams, the, the kind of more mobile uh, approach to the game that they take. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I think there's, um, there's, there's a paradox uh, with with you know, when we talk about organisation in football, I think we tend to talk about defensiveness, and you know, Mourinho sides are clearly very organised in that sense. Um, but the the sort of the the, the flexibility, the, the the interaction between players that comes from from a systematised attacking approach, that's something Mourinho doesn't really seem to do, and that's when I think you need a player like Slatan, who who sort of is less mobile. And therefore, somehow more suited to a to a less structured approach. So, I mean, if you look at the if you look at the success Mourinho's had over the last what fifteen years or so, it tends to have come with with strikers who are absolutely at the peak of their game. That he he sets up the platform, and then you know you get a great forward who you know, does his thing. And I you know, I think it's it's interesting that Zlatan has worked better in in for, for Mourinho than. Than, than in you know, teams we see as being being looser, but actually I think are sort of more more structured in, in how they attack. And I think that's something that Ed Nazar talked about um, back in uh, must have been after the, or just before yeah just before the FA Cup game, which was what March. And he talked about how Mourinho just sort of gave him a formation, and that was pretty much it in terms of the the advice he gave to the forwards. Uh, whereas he said that I think the word he used was automatism. Um, in terms of how a Conte side plays, and I think maybe that that is the more modern way of playing. That you you have these. Um, I, I remember the the, the, the analogy that uh, Anatoly Zelensov, who was Barry Lobanovsky's great con, con, uh, sort of collaborator, uh, the phrase he used, or the example he used, was he said it's you know, it's like chess, where you learn set moves and then you learn to adapt them within a game situation. And I think going you know, from an attacking point of view, Mourinho doesn't really offer that. He leaves it to the players to extemporise. Uh, and that maybe is why he sometimes seems a little bit old-fashioned, and the the, the, the sort of a, a stodginess when when you don't have the slickness that comes from from that pre-preparation. Does it have to be an either-or when it comes to those players, though? Rashford and Zlatan. It's too easy to say, "Oh, Zlatan's not there. Look how great Manchester United were. Like the guy, the guy's been amazing for most of the season." Is there a way of playing both him and Rashford? I think there is, and I, th- I both think I think it entirely depends on the type of game and how you want to play. I mean, I think had Zlatan played yesterday. Um, he would have pretty quickly found himself surrounded by those three Chelsea central defenders, plus the you know the two in front, Matic and, and uh, Kante in front, and it's very hard then to see how how United could have won knockdowns. Um, could Rashford play behind him? Yeah, absolutely. Could Rashford play to one side or the other? Yeah, definitely. But if you have Zlatan there, you have a fixed point, and that means you don't quite have the same fluency you do when you you have a you know a more mobile three with Mkhitaryan and, and Lingard. What do you think it says that their best, um, I mean, you, you said this is probably their best performance of the season. And it was, uh, I mean, if you looked at what was happening like 45 minutes before the game and the Manchester United team had been announced 
um, I, th- I think it's fair to say it was causing a bit of consternation. You know, this, oh, what's going on here? We're playing three at the back. Um, you know, Carrick, Mkhitaryan and Zlatan are all on the bench. This looks like a kind of, we're prioritising the Europa League team. You know, there was there was an element of what what is going on here. And yet this team, which bears very little resemblance to any previous team, really, that, that they've played this season, goes and delivers the best performance. I mean, it, it, what I'm saying is it, it's a, it was a team that wasn't really in keeping with whatever Manchester United is supposed to be this season. Uh, and then they kind of go and almost randomly pull a, a good performance like that out of the bag. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I guess that that is your concern if you're a United fan, that um, yeah, that's clearly not plan A. That's that's a pl- Or not for this season, plan A. That's a plan that's that's been adopted to, to adjust to an, op- an opponent. Uh, and maybe there's been an element of fortune that the, with the two Europa League games, and I think it's understandable if, if they are the focus, then yeah, the T thirty five year olds don't get selected. Mkhitaryan is is given a break, uh, and and that sort of those things come together. But the positive is the is is, is also that that you, know, you haven't picked the T thirty five year olds, and so you look at United's record um, this season, and they they win a far higher proportion of games and lose a far lower proportion of games when Carrick and when Zlatan play than than, than when they don't. But their best performance comes when they're not there, so I guess that has to be be encouraging for the future. But but yeah, it's yeah, I think it's very hard to be uh, a team that's going to dominate a league if you're constantly having to react to the opposition. I mean, yeah. it's obviously a balance between the two; you have to react to an extent. But if your best performance is entirely reactive, then that probably is problematic. Well, but, but this is but the thing. Yeah. This is the thing. It's always that way. I mean, it, all of the the kind of. Um, Big Jose Mourinho performances results at different teams are are the same kind of thing. There's a, there's a, there is a team that that tries to play a certain way, and Jose Mourinho comes along and devises a plan to stop that team uh, and does so successfully. I mean, when you yesterday when he was talking about the um, uh, talking about Ch- uh, the you know what what happened in the game, he was doing the kind of Sam Allardyce. Well, what happened there was <laughs> yeah, we're going into plenty of detail, but that that is a pretty big part of management, though. Ken. Yeah, no, but but what he said, I mean, what he said was all about Chelsea. It was all well, the players who you know in behind uh, Diego Costa, you know, you have got to control those positions and blah blah. And it was all about kind of what Chelsea do and how we're going to stop that. That was what it was. So what you've got is a game plan which you can't then use in the next game. You know what I mean? It's it's like you have to come up with thirty eight of these master plans as opposed to coming up with. You know, a a, a, prop, a kind of a really good way to play yourself, which he doesn't do. I mean, this, you know, maybe the next game they'll have Ander Herrera run around man marking somebody. You know what I mean? It's a plan that works for one game, but then you have to do something different in the next game. So you can't really develop your own style. It's just all about bringing down other people's style. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's two things there. One is that, yes, absolutely, Mourinho throughout his career has always been more reactive and. and uh, you know, he's never been somebody who I think's been a you know somebody with a great theory or great philosophy about the play um, from a from a positive point of view. But I actually think you know, the, the that's not really a problem. You know, that, that's a perfectly legitimate and normal way to play, even for a big side. If those adjustments come in the biggest games against the, the league leader, fair enough. I think the problem United have had, I mean, not just this season, but but going back to to when Ferguson left, is they haven't really developed that style. For the other game, so it's not. It shouldn't be about thirty-eight completely different plans. Maybe you need, yeah, a plan you use in thirty-two of the games, and then the other six you you make big adjustments. But I don't think they've had that. 
And you, I think you look at earlier Mourinho sides, you know, the, the Chelsea team of, of 2004-05, you can pretty much name the starting eleven. You know, you know that Drogba's there, you know that Makalele's there, you know that you've got the you know the, the two wide men. Okay, they had four players for those positions, but you could see the the obvious interaction between them. Yeah, you, know, you had Lampard breaking forward from midfield. You had uh, was it Smirting in that first season, and then uh, Balak came in. You knew what the back four was. So yeah, you, you could still name a sort of Chelsea team two thousand four five or from two thousand five six, and yeah, there might be slight adjustments in role or occasional adjustments of personnel on the opposition. I think this season, and maybe it's partly fatigue, maybe it's partly to do with the limitations of the squad, but it's very hard to say what Mourinho's first eleven is, or, or you know, to name what nine of that first eleven would be and name what the options are. So I think that's really been the problem that that. It's not so much the big games where you, where you do expect these changes. It's it's the sort of games against the B plus and lower opposition. Jonathan, I don't know what exactly was wrong with Chelsea yesterday, but it struck me at one point, Marcus Alonso couldn't start in the end. He did his warm-up, but apparently he'd been feeling ill that morning uh, and ultimately couldn't play. I actually thought at, some, at one point in the second half, I wouldn't be surprised afterwards if we hear there was a bout of food poisoning on around this team or a bug or something, because they all looked a little bit out of sorts, including their manager who had no real energy about him. We even see Ngolo Kante getting dispossessed. He got Kante'd by, I think it was Ashley Young in the build-up to the second goal. All sorts of very strange things. Like You don't expect Chelsea to put in such a limp performance at this stage of the season. Would you be concerned for them now that, that, that they look a little bit, they, while they should be at their freshest, given that they're not playing all this European football that other teams have had to do, that they actually look kind of tired and a little bit nervous um yeah um i, I mean i think the you know the, the positive for them is you have a four points clear six games to go the fixture list you know, the fixture got left for them at home they've got to go to Everton, go to west brom but they've got middlesbrough at home Sunderland at home watford and southampton i think the other two home games so you know they, they'd have to really tie up pretty bad even if they lose at Everton, they've still all they have to do is win the other five games and they're, they're champions um but yeah, the run-ins can do funny things to teams. Um, I, I mean, is it is it a surprise that they're looking weary given the lack of? I mean, okay, they haven't had European football, but it's been pretty much the same eleven. Uh, and I think they, you know, they are quite reliant on, on Azar for creativity. And Herrera obviously did a great job man marking him. And I think also we saw yesterday the importance of his relationship with with Marcus Alonso. That one of the the, the great pluses for Azar this season. Has been that he's slightly he's been able to play slightly inside, and he's known that Marcus Alonso is always going to go outside him, um, and that that yeah that wasn't really happening. That relationship you know, um, yeah clearly what you know wasn't there yesterday. So you know, I think there's a couple of obvious reasons why the structure didn't work quite as well, and I think um, Courtois not being there probably made a difference as well. In as much as I think that first goal, I think Begovic was slightly you know slightly slow to come off his line. He made it relatively easy for for Rashford. Maybe Courtois would have saved that. Then they're not one nil down, and then the game follows a different path. So, yeah, they, I think I think it's true that Chelsea haven't been playing well the sort of the last four or five weeks. Um, you know, the Palace game was a bit of a freak, which you know, I think Conde said yesterday that that game didn't concern him, whereas whereas you know the United game did. Um, but yeah, maybe, maybe they are just tying up. And then you know, if, if Tottenham beat them next Saturday in the, in the FA Cup semi-final, you may, maybe that adds to the pressure as well. And, and maybe they, 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 you know, they, they, they do slip up on the running. All right, Jonathan, thanks a million. Cheers, thanks. What have I become? 
my sweetest friend. I mean, at the time, I thought that you were completely in the right. Everyone I know. But now I think. Goes away. Should just play it anyway. I'm surprised you're ready to ask another question. No, well, it doesn't matter really what you think. My empire of dirt. Yeah, you weren't there at the time. I will let you down. You, you weren't a, an international player. I will make you hurt. And you had the frustrations I had. If I could start again. You can't play it at the international level. A million miles away. And you hadn't been accused of faking an injury, so. I will what you think doesn't really matter. I would find a way. Oh, I love that bet. Ken laying down the law to Roy Keane. Maybe six years ago? Someone was laying down the law to someone, yes, old. Mm. That went well for you. Five years ago. It was one of his guide dog for the blinds appearance. Yeah, but it was, the, it was the one that was timed to coincide with the 10th anniversary of Saipan. And it was just, <laughs> just before you were 2012, so suddenly everyone was... Talking about it, and I remember how pissed off Kane got. But it wasn't like he got annoyed with people asking him the questions. It was that he was perfectly happy to answer the questions, but then as he talked about it, started to get angry. You know what I mean? He became, he became more and more. Yeah, it was reawakening. I think, yeah, reawakening the the pain, the anger. I do believe you went on to ask him what's so bad about being accused of faking injuries in the first place. Mm, At at that point, the interview really was just was, was going south. Yeah, we're I going mean, north. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, that was a, like that kind of thing. That was a failure of of empathy, really. You know, you know, you, <laughs> that was a failure to put myself in in his position. You know, what's so bad? Walk about a mile it? in his shoes. Yeah, yeah you failed yeah, there. So sometimes you get it wrong. Do you like Jonathan's idea? Rough plan for thirty two games of a season, and then maybe new plans for six specific games. Yeah, um, I mean, it's not as though Mourinho was the only manager who uh, comes up with a, you know, who looks at the opponent and tries to come up with a tactical plan I mean Conte does it certainly Rafael Benitez managers like this uh, Guardiola undoubtedly does it as well um, but uh, I think he is the most extreme in focusing on that as opposed to what what do we do like hang on what what do we actually do like they're, they're a difficult team to play against in that sense because imagine you're in the position of the the opposing manager you have to prepare your team to play against Manchester United what are, you, what are they going to do you know, it's not, it's really not immediately obvious. Certainly Conte would have been surprised by, hang on, who's playing for them? What What are they doing today? This is, they hadn't prepared for that, I'm sure. And maybe that was um, part of the reason they played so badly. Huge week of sport coming up, uh, Champions League, Lions squad announcements, Champions Cup coming up next weekend, two Irish teams involved in that. Joshua Klitschko's next weekend as well. It's a hell of a lot going on. The FA Cup semi-final, Chelsea against Spurs. You can hear about all of those. National League hurting final goal against Tipperary. Hold on a minute here. Daily podcast building up to all of that through the rest of the week for World Service members. In the meantime, thanks very much, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thanks very much, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Gary. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.